You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition. Shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry. The home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. Good morning and welcome back to Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I'm your host, Carol Morgan, and I'd like to give a special thanks to our 2022 show sponsor, New American Funding. It is thanks to them that this show is possible. Today, we're continuing our Legends of Real Estate series with another icon of the industry. I am very happy to welcome Terry Morris, president of Morris and Fellows Real Estate to the studio today. Welcome, Terry. Uh, good morning. Thank you very much. Um, actually, my wife is president of Morris and Fellows, so I'm going to give her credit for oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I have the I, wrong I title. Help, I help as I can uh, with uh, her core business, which I we can talk about later. Um, I was also a little a little off put when the concept of uh, icon and uh, legendary showed up, uh, which uh, took me another thirty days to finally get here because of <laughs> because <laughs> I don't see myself in that light at all. Well, you have been. Just somebody likes to do what they do. Yeah, well, you're good at what you do. Talk a little bit about how you got into the real estate business. Well, yeah, we left uh, Florida State University, got out in 1970, and I jumped right into the first job I could find, uh, which was retail management. And I did that for quite for a number of years, at which point I kind of did the, the analysis on it. I love my work. I've loved every job that I've ever had, I think. And uh, but I couldn't make the level of income, at least I couldn't see it. Uh, so I started looking around and a friend suggested I consider commercial mortgage banking. So I went to work with the Commonwealth Corporation in 1974. Of course, um, that timing wasn't particularly good because it was the first uh, recession I had the opportunity to work through and the company ended up with bigger trouble. But while I was there, uh, they asked me to go ahead and get my uh, Florida real estate license. And then on occasion when they had a backlog and needed help, uh, they also formally trained me to do appraisals when I wasn't doing a commercial project, I could help them uh, with uh, residential appraisals. They were in that business as well. Uh, so we did that until the, the recession just really shut uh, in the Southeast in particular. Uh, 74, five was pretty brutal. And my wife and I looked around and said, well, what do we wanna do now? Uh, we've been in Tallahassee now for 10 years. Uh, let's go see, take our little family, which at that point was, uh, Two children. We had lost our second child, and we had, uh, you know, I think Colin was six months and Kristen was six years. And we looked around and put a dot on the map, and it was uh, either Austin or Wichita, Kansas, really had strong economies. So we packed it up and went out. Sherry went to work for Melvin Simon and Associates, opened up a regional mall for them out there, Town East Square, and I went to work for. Uh, Nestor Wygan, a firm that was founded in residential and commercial in uh, the late 1800s, not unlike, uh, you know, Harry Norman, but even older than them and more staid, if you will. And that was my beginning. So I got licensed there as a broker, opened an office for them. I eventually took over relocation services, did everything you can possibly do. And back in those days, the broker, we not only listed, sold, we closed the loans in our office, and that was my job. Wow. So I'll never forget the day when uh, a buyer showed up on a residential closing transaction, 
with an all-cash closing uh, and put stacks of $100 bills on my desk. Wow. So I couldn't get that closing done quick enough and get to the bank. So, But we drew up the closing statements. We did everything you would normally see in a closing today. And, and, and of course, a few years later, they somebody wised up and they, they took that responsibility away from brokers. And I think, uh, you know, title companies took it over out there. Yeah, so, wow. So we were loving life out in Wichita uh, once we got accustomed to the, uh, you know, extreme weather. Uh, but we realized that we were too far from home. We both grew up in the Southeast. I had family all over, you know, in the Florida market and Sherry did as well. So we pulled the map out again and said, where, do you, where should we go? And we said, well, Atlanta, Georgia is close enough without being in our relatives' backyards, and it also has opportunity for growth for both of us, uh, which we were kind of, I guess, way ahead of our times. You know, I, I she didn't follow me around. We kind of went together to where we could build our independent careers, uh, and it worked out pretty well. So she joined up with Tom Cousins as vice president of marketing for him. I flew into town in the spring of 70. Eight, and uh, had and was re- and met Johnny Isaacson for lunch in a coffee shop up on Johnson's Ferry Road, which was until a few years ago was still there. Um, we liked each other, and I say each other because I, I kind of was at that state point where it was important that it was a two way street, and uh, that conversation went very very well. He said, "Well, I'll tell you what, Terry, when you get your broker's license, come back and see me." So I reported back to Johnny. I said, okay, I got my broker's license. This was in October of 78, I believe it was. And he said, well, I don't have an exact job for you, but I want you to come to work for us. We'll figure something out. So uh, they sent me up to an office in uh, North Sandy Springs. I worked there for six or nine months. And then a a situation arose over in Smyrna. He said, I need you to go over to Smyrna and take care of that office for a while. So I did that for a pretty good while. So, you know, there I was. I'm now in the Atlanta brokerage market and and having a lot of fun on a very steep learning curve. Uh, As you can imagine, local customs in real estate vary by state. Mm -hmm. Uh, Laws are different. Customs are different. So, you know, I had a chance to to really... uh, to, to dig in. And no sooner did I get comfortable when the next recession hit, uh, which was uh, 80, 81, 82. And next thing I know, I'm responsible for a profit center and interest rates were at 18%. So, uh, but that didn't stop us. We came up with all sorts of creative ways. And in our little office over there, we sold uh, 365. We sold one house a day on average in 1982 at 18% interest rates. So there, there's, you know, we did the obvious rent versus sell pros and cons and a whole bunch of other very creative things to help people get what they wanted. So we were in the problem solving business and got very good at it. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you could probably teach some people a little bit today about how 6% isn't that bad. 6% compared to 18%. Yeah, not bad at all. Yeah. But, you know, I I like those threes a lot better. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, talk a little bit about what it was like to work with Johnny Isaacson. Well, you know, I mentioned when how we met and um, 
we always, Johnny always ran a company that was very, very lean in terms of senior management. And we really hit it off. I tended to, we had a manager's meeting every, every Monday morning. And um, I sat in the back of the room and just listened for the longest time and made notes and learned from all the older tenured mm-hmm. brokers that had been there for years. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I, in, I had come to the decision, having had some experience in commercial, that this concept of residential brokerage was a bit crazy. <sighs> um, the unpredictability of everything didn't make sense to me. I couldn't get my arms around what the, if there was really a business model that had any processes, controls, standards, so forth and so on. And there really wasn't. So I, I decided I was going to get back, I was going to switch back into the commercial real estate. So I'm over in Smyrna working with some very, very talented people selling a lot of houses. By the way, I had to change the scorecard because when I got here, uh, we were never in the top five in production in a multi-office company. And I said, well, this isn't fair because I'm outperforming everybody in terms of units sold. So that was a concept that didn't come up. So I'm competing against my our Sandy Springs office that's selling, you know, average sales price is three times the right. there. I'm selling $45,000 houses and they're selling $200,000 houses. So I convinced Johnny that we need to rethink how we, how we scored ourselves in a competitive environment among us office managers. And uh, sure enough, he, he, he made sense to him and we did it. So then I started getting on top of the charts. We actually set up a volume and a, and a unit. And I was happy as long as I could, uh, we could be acknowledged for, for good work because the work level is the same, whether it's a $40,000 house or a $400,000 house. Right. And, John, and because we were so busy and so lean, oh, well, but what happened is somewhere around 84, 1984, uh, Johnny and David, uh, so so to, to say back when I was running a branch office, I just did my job. I had been well-trained, uh, I mean, extraordinarily well-trained uh, and mentored in Wichita, Kansas by a gentleman, Western Nestor Wygans, Uncle Gene Paul. And I was on the phone all the time to him asking about Get, getting his wisdom on problems and situations. And it was just a wealth of information. So when I got to town, I just, you know, knew what I needed to do and, and went and did it. So in around 84 or so, Johnny and David Chatham, who was the majority their company, their family owned the majority owners of Northside Realty, asked if I would consider coming over to the corporate office and um, working as the general manager. And I thought, I didn't have to think about that very long, but what it did for me was that I said to myself, well, this means I get a, I have an opportunity to play with the model, to change the model, to do mm-hmm. some, some of the things that I mentally had been complaining about, but knew that I couldn't do anything about to the point that I was just going to go do something else. Um, so there around 1985, I guess I it was formally, I, I'm guessing on that date, it was close to that. And I had I shared uh, we shared Johnny and I shared uh, one end of the Northside Tower CNS Bank Building uh, office and then later Northside Tower common receptionist so we were right next to each other day in day out um, but we didn't spend a lot of time talking to each other because there was no extra time to talk believe it or not we were just that busy uh, the company was doing 
probably eight, nine hundred million in residential sales at the time. When I moved to town in 78, the uh, population was around 500,000. Uh, Atlanta was getting ready to enter its, you know, its, its a remarkable growth of, you know, over 100,000 people a year coming into the market for the next 20 years. So the opportunity was there, but it took a lot of skill to figure out how to tap that um, in, a, in, a, in a disciplined fashion instead of just sort of doing things the way they were always done in real estate, which was pretty much the same among all companies. You know, you hired good brokers and you hired agents, you hope they went to work and, you know, sold houses and, um, and, and, and it all seemed to work out for a long time. Uh, but things were changing. And I had the view that, that change was, was uh, fundamental and you could either get ahead of it and be the change maker, or you could follow. And I was comfortable with the change process. My degree in, in, in college was, and I, did, I only did it because I didn't know what else to do. It was kind of fun. Uh, psychology and management. The management was the boring part because they were mostly boring people in the school of business, but the psychology students were just off the wall. Interesting. Um, and uh, so I, those skills later, later I became people refer to me as the numbers guy in the company and John relative to Johnny's position. And, and I use numbers as a means to an end. Uh, they served me well uh, throughout my career. Uh, and then the way Johnny and I worked is, you know, I actually asked him, I said, Johnny, I'd like to, to uh, suggest to you what I'd like to accomplish each year. And this is what I would, these were my major goals. So we'd sit down and I'd go over that. And I don't think he ever said, no, don't do that, do this. Uh, and I took on new homes the first, the first uh, big year. We were, on any given day, we were probably responsible for the sales and marketing of 200 to 250 subdivisions. And so when one would sold out, we were bringing another one in. And it was, you know, they were small projects to the Polo Golf and Country Club, which was owned by our parent. Um, you know, I was the person who came in and said, we need to treat our parent like an arm's length client and, um, and give them the same level of discipline, brokerage services, accountabilities, and all the rest of the stuff, trained agents and everything. And so that was an interesting conversation with David and Howard Chatham at one point, especially when uh, they were used to tapping our pocketbooks to pay for marketing and things of that nature. And I says, no, you, you know, you, it's all your money anyway. You can have it all. But we need to we need to count it over here, and then for right. and then you spend your money over there, and, and you can recover it from us later. Yeah. So it was a it was a business approach versus a good old boy, uh, you know, family approach to how 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 businesses were often run. So Johnny and I, I enjoyed Johnny was a, one of the you know I've seen him in so many environments, so many presentations, so many different types of groups of people. And he was brilliant. I've never seen anybody work a room uh, like Johnny uh, in my life. And so I took advantage of the time that we worked together to just watch and listen. Even though I was, you know, went from being general manager to executive vice president and my responsibilities got kicked up, every day was a day of learning. And, um, and, and so uh, I learned a lot from Johnny and uh, later on, uh, when when he moved on to his political ambitions, uh, 
he would periodically, because he was still a minority owner of the company, would he would people would whisper in his ear, "What do you see here? What Morris is doing now?" <laughs> um, he would uh, he'd say, "Hey, tell me what's going on," and I would lay out the program that I wanted to do. Uh, one of them, which was really uh, challenging for our management team, was to uh, was to make a buyer agency mandatory in our company. So every buyer in the company knew that we were working for them. We had a, a, a document agreement we, we had to sign. It took a year to get full implementation, but after uh, people were trained and understood and saw how it worked, uh, our agents uh, just appreciated the opportunity, mm-hmm. the transparency in the transaction, uh, and, uh, and to not be taken advantage of, frankly. Right. Well, Northside Realty was widely successful. Um, what do you attribute that success to? Um, you know, dedicated and capable management at multiple levels. Um, clearly, um, that was Johnny established, uh, a, a, you know, a really remarkable foundation. And, and then I was later allowed to, to build upon that and was proud to have been able to grow the company from, you know, a, a billion to 2.2 billion in residential sales uh, when I left the company in the early part of 2002. Um, and we changed the changed the model, but we can maybe talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, we, we had our, our head of relocation services was a remarkable leader. Um, our head of rental properties, each each division. Uh, I had one of the most talented IT guys uh, probably in the United States. He, he later followed me to GMAC Real Estate nationally, uh, Michael Williams. And in 1995, uh, he, we started working together on um, the internet and how, how to utilize the internet as a tool to assist our agents in doing what they do so well. Uh, and also to acquire more customers and help our help our clients shop more intelligently and more efficiently and so forth and so on. So that was a that was a game changer and um, in terms of 1995 forward. But ultimately, it, a company is only as good as the leadership is able and you know is able to um, is provided in, in the organization. And that leadership has to take place at, at multiple levels. Uh, but the standard is set at the top, and, and Johnny did that so well for so many years, and then he turned it over to me to do, and I'd like to think I did a reasonably good job of, uh, of taking it to the next level. Well, I think seeing that vision and embracing it and embracing change has been a huge part of your success, and I know you've seen a lot of changes um, during your career. Talk a little bit about some of those. You know, There's been changes in the brokerage business. There's been changes to agent compensation. And then, you know, all these mergers and acquisitions that just seem to continue, you know, speak a little bit uh, to each of those. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Um, changes in the brokerage business. And because I have recently been involved in some real estate transactions, uh, we've purchased a property in in, uh, in Midtown and I, I, I tend to, I still do referrals that are, you know, sent to handpicked agents and so I'm able to see how the transaction works. In a lot of ways, nothing has changed. The, the residential brokerage business, due to the nature of the transaction volume, meaning um, the, the person who buys a house today might never buy another one, or they might buy one in 10 years. And so 
at the beginning and the end of the day, you know, the relationship between the individual agent, their competency, their ethics um, uh, become critical to the outcome of that transaction. We, we actually, you know, back at Northside Realty uh, attempted to change that model. That's probably the thing that I'm most proud of is that we effectively did it. Um, we, we created a partnership with our agents. Um, we felt like as, and we had the same pressure everybody did as Remax and other uh, 100%, if you will, but there's really no such thing as 100% company. Uh, whether you pay, whether you get 100% of the commission, but pay, you know, pay uh, uh, fees for your for your overhead and your desk and different technology services that are, you know, that are charged out. Uh, there, there is a cost to be associated with a broker, and the better the tools, uh, the higher that cost is going to be. Um, we were very interested in creating. Um, uh, predictable processes and outcomes. And one of the things that I did for most of my career as the, the CEO of the company was as soon as our, what we called executive associates, and we that was an, frankly an honor title because of, how, of who they were and how good they were at what they did. Back in the day when $75,000 was probably a lot more money, as soon as an agent hit $75,000 in income, uh, my assistant would set up uh, a private lunch with uh, 10 to 12 of these people. And those lunches, by the way, started as early as uh, uh, late January and February because they have a book of business that's coming in and business is closing. So throughout the year, I am meeting with 175 of our very top producers, some who were new to the business, but mostly have been around for a long time. Um, by the way, over time, as our systems came into place, newly hired people fell into that category rather quickly. I'll talk about that if there's time. Um, but one of the things, one of the questions I always ask them are, was, what are, the, what are your biggest challenges today? Inevitably, year after year, they said it was the challenges of dealing with a cooperating broker in a transaction. They simply weren't. They weren't doing their jobs. Yeah. And there was an expectation if they were the, on the buy side and we were on the listing side, they had things that needed to be done and they weren't getting done. So it shocked me that with the growth of the industry and technology and all the other things that were coming along, uh, the delivery system hadn't really changed. So one of the things that we did is we, we created a, um, we, we, we worked with our management team on, on how to how to hire the right people. Simple concept. A lot of other, other industries have done it for years. So we came up with a profile and we did a lot of, lot of work on that. And then how do you train those people to succeed? And then how do you help and, and how do you hold them accountable for their success? And, and so we set up, a, um, we, I actually are, we, we developed a coaching program, which became a really big thing, you know, sometime after I, I left the, the brokerage business here in Atlanta. So um, every agent at a certain point in this development and growth in the, in the 90s uh, started out, they were, we thought they were going to succeed because of their background and experience and the desire. And um, what wasn't a, a qualified 
why you're getting in this business was I like people. That was the typical answer you'd get. Oh, I like people. Well, so what? Uh, that's a good thing if you do like people because you're going to have to be dealing with them regularly. Um, but you've got but there's other other motivations that really should be prior to that. But everybody ended up with the RHS. We, we, we sat down with them and depending on what their needs were, we helped them build a business plan. And then we trained them and coached them and we set up a, a one-on-one. Our managers had a one-on-one coaching program. And depending on who the agent was, we would even do accountability where they told us what they said they were intended to do to succeed in the business, how many listings they wanted to take, how many, how many so forth and so on. And then we would meet with them on an every two-week basis and say, well, how'd it go the last two weeks? Well, I didn't do such and such that I was supposed to do. I got to I got to get back on that. And I was doing the same thing with the management team in terms of their responsibilities to be to grow their office. And uh, sometimes managers would laugh when I'd call them up because I talked to my management team back in the day uh, every two weeks for one hour about their business. This is unheard of in the industry. And they would laugh sometimes and they say, Terry, I did everything I told you I was going to do two weeks ago and I did it yesterday. And they would they would lean back and belly laugh and they say, you know what? It's so easy to get caught up in the in the urgent but not important. And right. I, I knew I was going to be talking to you and it was going to be embarrassing to say I didn't do anything because I let all this other stuff, all these firefights uh, distract me from my real job. Right. So uh, it was a game changer. And uh, uh, and so in, in, at the end of the day. What we were after was a world-class brokerage experience at the customer level. And part of this model change was to go from single brokerage to adding, because what was happening also to our industry is that the company dollar uh, was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and it was difficult to provide the level of services that we historically had done to support our agents. Think you need 20% down to become a homeowner? Think again. What if you could buy a home without a down payment? That's right. New American Funding understands that saving for a down payment can be difficult. They have competitive loan programs that can get you into a new home. Their 100% FHA financing loan program makes getting into a new home with no down payment possible. Let one of their home loan professionals pre-qualify you Contact a new American Funding loan officer today to find out more about these niche loan programs and start your home ownership journey. For more information, call 678-898-3540. That's 678-898-3540. we, uh, we were a leader in the industry, not only in the Atlanta region, but as it turns out, in the United States. And I absolutely because yeah. I had the opportunity and the pleasure to be in national organizations where similarly like-minded companies, typically the largest regional players in all these markets around the United States, would get together every two months and, and bear our souls, if you will. And I was as interested in what they tried to do and it didn't work as what didn't. I also found uh, within a few minutes by the morning session of the first day, I knew who I wanted to have lunch with. 
and I would pick their brains for lunch uh, and, and come back with lots of ideas that I didn't implement, by the way, at least not immediately, because what last thing you want when you're the CEO is to say, oh, God, Morris has been out of town again. He's got another idea. So sometimes my ideas, I would, I would bake for two years, minimum sometimes a year before we would roll them out and they were done in a very disciplined fashion. But this changing of the model was critical because um, I, was, I was really, from my, my initial disappointment in residential brokerage to where I was, I had the opportunity to make a difference and I, and I was passionate about doing that. Um, we added, we had insurance, but we weren't really using our own insurance company. It was a sister company. And we added mortgage. Uh, we added uh, we added transaction closing services. We I, I partnered with with Seth Wiseman, and we developed a, a closing program. And we rewrote uh, together uh, what a, what a, a perfect closing would look like, uh, so that when it was all said and done, our because I went to many many hundreds of closings over the years, and they weren't all great experiences. We added concierge services, uh, utility connections, uh, you know, uh, select, uh, help, you know, referred movers, it just on and on and on. And um, we wanted to have we wanted to have that relationship for life. So when that consumer, when that cl- transaction closed, they said yes, this felt good. And of course, your big pushback was from your agents because they said, oh my god, if this is a company on service, a company on mortgage company. And we have a problem. We're in trouble. I, you know, my response to that was, who does it reflect on now? Because right. those of you who are at the best of what you do, your clients are saying to you, what company should I go to? And you typically give them a name or two and sometimes three. And But it's all said and done. If it doesn't go well, are they mad at the mortgage company or are they mad at you? Yeah, said, well, yeah we, we're the ones who take the front of it. I yeah. said, the difference is, is if it's ours, we will we will have human error. It will inevitably take place, but we will also have world class recovery services, and we can make it right because it's ours and because it matters so much to us. And that worked, and we had some of the highest conversion ratios on buyer control sides uh, anywhere in the United States, and we're we were rapidly building them uh, when uh, the company uh, was sold to uh, Sendit back in 2002. So um, yeah, it was a great time. Uh, but like every other job I had, once that once that job was over, I closed the door and moved on. Well, we'll talk about that. You know, the transition from Northside Realty to going into business with your, your wife and starting Morrison Fellows. And uh, what did all that look like? Well, Morrison Fellows had actually been around since 1982. So she's now okay. got two decades of doing uh, of doing uh, retail-based mixed-use commercial real estate all over the United States and parts of the world. Um, I actually uh, joined or joined up with her in early 2002. And no sooner did I get involved in some projects than a friend tapped me on the shoulder. Uh, actually, I was at a national meeting. And he said, can I have breakfast with you? And um, I said, sure, see you, I'll see you tomorrow morning. And uh, he said, I'd like you to come run our, run our company-owned uh, operations for GMAC Real Estate. Uh-huh. And I said, well, that's very interesting. And um, so I spent six months um, working with John uh, at that time until I really understood who they were and what they were and um, went to, I know it sounds anal, but I... I 
I flew around the country and watched them work. To, so I knew what I was getting into because, and I told John, I said, I'm, I'm on, um, I, I'll give you, I think we can do what we, what you want to accomplish in five years. And I ended up staying six and I, we ended up uh, doing for, we grew to be the fourth largest residential brokerage company in America based on volume. We were in the, we were in Boston, uh, greater Boston, greater Chicago, all parts of San Francisco, Marin, Sonoma, Napa Valley, uh, just, you know, Cape Cod, just on and on. But these were, these were really, really great companies that under the ownership because they'd been purchased that was going on in a phase of our industry that uh, the people who built these remarkable companies in many cases were wanted to retire cash out and almost all of them stayed on for a tour of duty, which was a requirement. And, um, and, but operating in a, in a corporate world where all focuses on quarterly returns um levels of bureaucracy that you can't imagine. Uh, you, we, we talk about the government. It happens in corp- it happens in for-profit companies exactly the same. It's a human condition. It's not a, it's not a government or, or otherwise condition. And, and so we, we worked really hard uh, and we changed the model. We added brokerage. We added all the other services. We increased our our multiple profit centers increased our profits and, uh, and and built all those companies up. Only in 2008, uh, GMAC was purchased by a hedge fund, and uh, they they now were majority owner, and they were doing what hedge funds do. Uh, they were f- trying to figure out how they could cut overhead uh, everywhere they could, which in the process they usually run off the talent. Uh, they do get the overhead cut uh, quickly, and then they sell it, and they make a lot of money for their investors. So uh, we were chopped up and sold off to uh, you know a variety of friends and people in in the industry, and I retired at that point. Finally, remember I started to. Join You've been the- trying to do that for a while, huh? Yeah. Jerry and I have been working together. So the big transition took place then, not in uh, not in two thousand two when we got started working together with me. To, just to, to provide support to what she already did so well um, and um, and learn more. I've been, we've been, we're 53 years married. So we've been, you know, we've been in and out a whole lot of stuff, but I have to tell you when we started working together on, on Woodstock downtown, uh, the great recession had hit, you know, I mean, golly, I had, been honored to speak to Chairman Bernanke and four Fed mm-hmm. governors, one on four, one on five basis, and give them my opinion and asked them. Then they let me ask them a lot of questions. I, because of the the, of the respect that we had in the industry, they were looking for real time. What do you see going on? And I asked them a lot of questions afterwards about, are you concerned about the fact that I uh, live in Atlanta, Georgia, and we're the largest housing market in the United States, and uh, I can give you a list of home builders longer in this table, which was pretty long. And right. Not sold a home to other than a subprime buyer in almost two years. Mm-hmm. I'm not concerned. Anyway, we had that kind of conversation. They they really didn't understand and were, were clueless. And of course, the sky fell. Um, we lost our partners uh, in Sherry. We, they're close friends and we travel together and they're doing amazing things. Uh, Pam and uh, Pam Sessions and Don Donnelly, Hedgewood Properties. 
Uh, they were our partners on the residential portion of Alpharetta City Center. Fabulous product up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, Sherry and I were fortunate enough. Um, things went well at GMAC. Uh, nice thing about big companies like that is that when you have a plan, they pay whatever the plan says you earned with no questions asked. It's not like a mom and pop where, you know, right. well, I changed my mind. Um, and so we we had the capital to go ahead and complete Woodstock commercial on our own. And uh, so we did that and uh, and did everything we did out there to hold for the long haul. And we actually, we sold it in March 31st of this year to a really fine company that we think is going to be um, do what needs to be done by 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 the community. We're we're also working on Woodstock uh, City Center. Which I saw are, that. Tell us a little bit more about that. First of all, Woodstock is one of the most remarkable cities that that my wife has had the opportunity to work with, and in particular, uh, their leadership team and and um, their city manager. Uh, we we have a public partnership, private partnership with the city of Woodstock. Uh, we're the lead team. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much what you saw as an example in Alpharetta City Center, if you've been up there, came, comes out of my wife's head in collaboration with a team of other uh, very smart people. But she's the driver. Um, <clears throat> same thing on on, uh, on this. We will have um, 600. We badly need parking because the, the city is so successful. 600 and probably 67 structured parking. Oh, excellent. Right on this four, four and a half acres of ground at Main and Main, <clears throat> Arnold Mill and, and East Main Street. Um, those will be hidden because that's the way my wife does stuff where she's not going to look at ugly. Yeah. And we will also have, in addition to that, um, more uh, restaurants, retail, uh, the city badly wants a boutique hotel. We've been working on that. And right now it's looking like, uh, you know, 120-key uh, boutique hotel, which uh, there is nothing like it. And that Excellent. Uh, we'll have some office. There is no office in, right. in that part of the world. You've got to go all the way back down several miles south to get to an office uh, building of any sort. So um, <clears throat> so that's that's well underway. Right now, you've seen in announcements that are made and so forth and so on. Um, to my surprise, because we're trying to get where we spend more time doing fun stuff, <clears throat> but this really is fun for her. Um, she's put together another RFQ request for qualification on another similar <clears throat> neat potential city to create another place. Uh, her objective is to frankly demonstrate to the world that you can that commercial real estate can enhance the world and the community but i tell you they're they're hard to do um it, they take they're not necessarily formulaic uh it, you, you know it's not a math problem it, it, once the math problem solved you just turn it over to the other people to build it and <clears throat> sell it as quick as you can to a pension fund and and exit town so um so that's um, that's sort of that's sort of where we are, you know. Right well, now, you've done a ton over the years. Probably not a fair question, but what's been the most rewarding thing that you've done? Most rewarding part of your career? Hmm. Well, I, I frankly, um, given that I made a decision to be in residential real estate, and then made a decision to get out of it, 
and then was given an opportunity to change it. Right. And we've succeeded in that change. Yeah, is is uh, growth and revenue, sales, revenue, net income, all of that stuff is really important. It becomes a byproduct of doing all the other stuff correctly. And, um, uh, you know, and I've had the pleasure of working with some really remarkably talented real estate agents over the years. I use an agent anytime I buy or sell. Um, I believe in the business. And uh, and I've rarely been disappointed. So uh, so that yeah, that's that's probably the thing that I'm I'm most proud of. I don't know that it matters at this point because the world keeps changing. It's changing rapidly. New technologies. Um, you know, I was part of the conversation where what we call them were interlopers. They join up our join these technology companies, join our multiple listing service. The independent brokers have done all the heavy lifting. They've recruited the agents. They've paid the overhead. They've listed the properties. They've created the technology platform. And then all of a sudden we're, you know, giving it away. Right. And those same people are, you know, are selling leads back to us and that sort of thing. Um, but who knows where the next the next evolution in this is. But if the, unless the nature of transactions change, that will be an infrequent buy and sell opportunity for most consumers. And it's a pretty big deal uh, right. for most people, myself included, as much stuff as we've done. And um, and so the the role of that third party, because humans, you know, I fundamentally believe that, you know, if we if they could talk to each other, buyers and sellers and just make a deal the industry wouldn't exist, but that doesn't happen very easily or, mm. it's, or it's rare. It does happen, but it's, but it's, it, it's rare. So there's always going to be a need for that third party to bring the parties together, uh, to be clear about the process, to make sure it's all properly done. And, you know, people, the buyer gets what they think they're getting and the sellers get what they're getting. And there's the least amount of pain possible in a, in a very complicated process. Right. Absolutely. Well, for someone who's thinking about getting into the brokerage industry today, what advice do you have for them? Uh, given all the stuff we talked about, I would, I would, I would interview two or three different companies. Number one, what you're going to get by doing that, and you're going, and your favorite friend in the who's maybe encouraged you to get in the business or is recruiting you to a certain company, is going to tell you all the reasons why you ought to go to work for them. Right. This is an opportunity to, uh, as a matter of fact, I'll, to relate to that story. When Johnny said I had the job, I said, Johnny, before I take the job, I want to go call on all of your major competitors uh-huh. and interview yeah. them and see if they're interested in talking to me. And if they are, talk about their business and so forth and so on. I had an opportunity to learn about all of our major competitors from the CEO at the CEO level, given what I was interviewing for, uh, and learn things that I would have never learned if I had not taken the time to do that. And then, so I come back to Johnny, I says, okay, I've completed my interviews. I'm ready to go to work. This sounds awfully strange that somebody would actually do that. Uh, but it was a, but it really was gave me an advantage when I went to work for the company that I was going to be oh, with yeah. for 23 years. So I would ask, I would suggest that an agent does that as well. Uh, look for how you're going to be supported. Uh, a license in real estate in any state in the union is nothing more than an access license. It gives you the ability to, to get into that industry and go to work. 
you are not qualified for fundamentally anything at that point. Um, you've learned some technical jargon. You've learned, uh, you know, whatever the license right. things are. And uh, so ha- look at the training program. Mm-hmm. And when the training program's done, is it a six-week program that's your bump? Or is there continuing education being offered by your company and so forth? And and is there somebody in that organization that's going to help who's who you're going to get up and feel like, which was my job always, was to help everyone succeed, help my department heads succeed in what they were doing. My branch manager, my division presidents in case of GMAC. Um, There needs to be an organization that has that focus. And a lot of them, frankly, are transactional. And if that's what you want, that fits your personality, fine. You pay your fee, you get your license, you go out and knock on doors or whatever it is, sell a house, list a house from a friend or a relative. But that's not what I call a career. That's a, that's a job, not a career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's and it can be a very rewarding career because uh, when agents do, do their work well, it is so important and so appreciated by the people on both sides of the transaction. And I see the same thing in commercial. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, I did, I can't tell you how many commercial leases I've read now. Um, uh, you know, my, my wife knows who she wants and what spaces literally to create a right. relationship where they all help lift each other up. But as many hours in the day as she's got, she couldn't do it all. So I would be assigned to, you know, work in a lot of these leases, you know, 40 page leases and a lot of, a lot of detail. Yeah. So very similar, whether it's commercial, whether it's residential, yeah. it's, it's the license is an opportunity to learn. And if you learn well, if you stay on the learning curve, always stay on the learning curve, uh, never get comfortable because when you do, you're going to have a problem uh, and then just uh, and enjoy it. Uh, enjoy the enjoy the work you do because it's uh, it's it's rewarding. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts about what's going on in the housing industry today and where do you think we're going from here with all of our, you know, home prices going up and interest rates going up and everybody's, you know, saying the sky is falling? What's your take on it? Well, uh, you know, the sky's not really falling. I'm <laughs> old enough now at 74 to have worked through quite a few of these recessions and, and you know, we always come out there. On the other end, yet when you're in the middle of it, it, it doesn't feel so good. Um, I was actually hoping you wouldn't ask me that question. <laughs> For 22 years, I did a quarterly market update for the housing industry, and mm-hmm. including actually going to the Federal Reserve Bank one time. Um, uh, and I actually, I worked at it. I prepared for those and I found, as a matter of fact, I entertained myself because by the time I looked at all the numbers and drew drew conclusions, I was so bored. I couldn't stand it. Uh, And so I would do all these, that's where I got into tangents. And it turns out my audience is typically like the tangents as well. (laughs) Um, but, uh, the, the new element that, that has me scratching my head are these equity funds. And I saw them surface in 2008, believe it or not, because nobody much paid attention to what was happening in 2008 because they were all busy surviving. Um, The 2009, that's when they started showing up, buying single family houses wholesale um, with some sort of a business model that Mm -hmm. I'm sure includes hold, long-term hold if necessary, Spend as little as you have to in terms of your cost to carry. Mm -hmm. Isn't a good thing for real estate. Uh, And then sell it at some point at a higher price. 
Well, we're in a position in Atlanta, Georgia, where we have more ownership type buyers, people who want to own their real estate, than we have houses to serve that. Yep. So it's disturbing to me to meet somebody at a business function that uh, is closing 20 single family houses a month and putting them into their pool mm-hmm. of assets that they're now they're leasing back out. And that's right. one more house that can't be purchased by you or me. You know, and it's, in, it's interesting because I think that when they all started buying them in 2008, we thought, oh, great, this will help solve the problem. We thought yeah. they would all come back on the market. Well, they haven't. They're still, you know, they're still renting them. They're still holding. So it's, it's definitely yeah. interesting. Yeah. They're, and, and who knows when they start releasing them, uh, what will be the what, what will be the trigger? Right. And what will be the impact on the market? Um, it could. Some people, you know, uh, think it could cause prices to drop. You know, my experience in, in the time I've been doing this is that when we have a recession, things slow down, values stop going up as rapidly as they were. Uh, the, the whole supply thing is sort of set to the side for, for a little while while we heal, whatever the problem is. And then but they don't go backwards in value. Right. In, unless you're in a population area in the Northeast somewhere where literally people are leaving town to come to the South or some other place. And actually one of the things that I used to track was migration patterns. So I was seeing actually where the people were coming from in what states and what cities they were going to, and then trying to figure out how to tap into that market. Right. Um, but so unless you're in one of those, uh, you know, rust belt states where the where people are just simply leaving, that's when values start going down. But yeah. when you're, if you're in any Southeast market in the United States, any healthy market anywhere, um, values may stop going up. They just sort of, uh, you know, they flatten out. And then as soon as things get healthy again, boom, they're on the rise again. So people that that's why, you know, back when we had 18 percent interest rates, um, I could make a justification for getting into the real estate, refinancing it later. But but putting your stake in the ground uh, sooner than later, because and it's and it's always uh, paid off. Well, Terry, I could talk to you all day, but we are running out of time for today. So any closing thoughts, anything you want to leave our listeners with before we go? No, I've been uh, I've been very fortunate to uh, be involved in this industry uh, with the people I've been able to work with over the years, both locally and nationally. Uh, it, you know, I'm still I'm still trying to play hard, um, still do handstands, still ride a unicycle. Uh, still like to take the Boy Scouts out on multi-day high adventure trips. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I want to do right now, whereas my wife is getting ready to do another project. <laughs> but we met on the gymnastic team. So uh, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, uh, you know, live, live full and, uh, and play. You know, it's funny. We play, play, play honestly, play well. Uh, you know, one of the things I loved about Johnny Isaacson is, you know, before we wrote, actually sat down and wrote a, 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 a highly defined policies procedure manuals, which was, which at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, there was one rule that covered it all. Do the right thing. Right. And I can't tell you how many times I'd say, Johnny, I got a situation here I'm about to rule on. It's going to cost the company some money. He says, whatever you say is okay with me, Terry. I know you'll do the right thing. And right. sometimes that was writing a big check to the to the buyer or the seller because our agent um, made a mistake and uh, you know do the right thing have fun make a lot of money it's a great business to be in 
I love that. Work hard, play hard, do the right thing. And it's so true. You know, if you take care of people, it comes back to you over time. It really does over and over and over. Yeah. Words to live by. Well, thank you so much for your time. For our listeners that might want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to uh, reach out to you or get in touch with Morrison Fellows? Um, We have a a website. It's uh, www.morrisandfellows.com. If you Google that, you come up with all sorts of information on the company. And I think there's contact information there. Um, my wife is the driver of the of the mixed juice uh, commercial real estate development business. I am I am purely an asset. I'm a financial partner. If it goes well, I benefit. If it doesn't go well, I don't benefit. Uh, we're in it together. Have been for years, and um, I keep encouraging her to do it as long as she's having fun. And um, that doesn't mean I'm not going to slip out and do a guy's trip somewhere <laughs> while she's running numbers with you know with partners. Yeah, we, we do have a website and uh, I still we still live and work in Sandy Springs are heavily involved in community service and parks, trails and green space and did the same thing in Woodstock. And, uh, and we're, we're busy doing that in, in uh, Sandy Springs, greater Sandy Springs right now. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of that. And I've decided I'm going to change your title from legend and icon to pioneer because clearly you pioneered a lot of methods and systems and things that, you know, weren't in place before, you know, for Northside Realty and then for, you know, other organizations around the country who saw what you were doing and followed along. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I was very fortunate to have have such a great palette to start working on. Absolutely. Well, that wraps this week's all about real estate edition with our focus on our legend of real estate today. I'd like to thank Terry Morris with Morris and Fellows Real Estate for taking the time to share with us today and share his story. Um, you know, and all the fun stuff going back to David Chatham and Johnny Isis. And so thank you so much for sharing today, Terry. Thank you, Carol. On behalf of our show sponsor, New American Funding, I'm your host, Carol Morgan, and I'd just like to say thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to iTunes and give us a positive rating and review. If you'd like to follow along with more of these conversations, you can download our podcast from Spotify, Stitcher, or iTunes. Um, And with that, I'll just say thank you very much. I look forward to seeing everyone right here again for our next show. Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio is sponsored by New American Funding and made possible by Denim Marketing, the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite source for real estate and home building news. Denim Marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim Marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio or to inquire about being a guest, contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio.